Giannis, 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. We are just over a week away from opening day as spring training is winding down in West Palm Beach. Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast, everybody. Bobby Blanco, as you can see, not Amy Jennings. Uh, Brendan Mortensen joining me this week as Amy's taking a last-minute vacation to Paris yeah. before the start of the regular season. I had no idea. Amy didn't tell us about this, and she, then all of a sudden, she was just kind of in Paris. Just shots at the Eiffel Tower from there her she was. hotel. Yeah, there yeah. she was. Very sneaky went to France for the week before yeah, the opening it, day. It's hard to be sneaky and go to France, yeah. but somehow she pulled it off. Like she had told us weeks ago that she was going to be off this week, but never cared to mention she was going to go to Paris Yeah, just for a couple of days. I would have told everybody oh, if yeah. I was going to France. Like, oh yeah, France for sure. Like that would be, that would be the biggest deal that I yeah. had to tell people. So we had to find that out on her own social media. So no Amy this week. She'll be back Heck next Amy. week. Brendan, of course, is a great pitch hitter on the Mass and All Access podcast. Of course, you've seen his work on the Orioles side of the podcast, on Mass and hosting pre- and post-game shows before Nationals games. So happy to have Brendan back. This is like your second episode in three weeks, right? Yeah, because you were down in West spring, Palm, yeah, training, spring training, and I pinch hit for you. And now I'm pinch hitting for Amy, yeah. so I'm just I'm just the guy off the bench. Just here. a lot of men of many hats. Um, you just <laughs> finished your Orioles podcast. Of course, yeah. give him a follow at Brendan Morty on Twitter, um, and follow the podcast wherever you go on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Hopefully, you're tuning in live and watching us be brilliantly matched in bright red. Yeah, uh, almost like we planned day. it. We didn't, but we, we did could not. have planned it. Yeah, I mean, it's you got two choices. It's red or blue, pretty much. Or a, like a mask and gray. Right. Uh, our polos. But um, you guys just did your uh, podcast, uh, Brendan, and you guys did a, uh, a draft where you drafted all of the Orioles players yep. uh, for this upcoming season and split into two teams, you and Paul Mancano. Um, and that had me thinking, like, last night, do you play fantasy baseball anymore? I do. Fantasy baseball is hard, it's but very hard. I do play fantasy baseball. It's yeah. it's a tough because you have to play every single day right. for like six months. Wake up. Set, it's not like fantasy football no. where you can set your lineup on Saturday yeah. and just hope that you didn't have any Thursday night football players that you missed. Mm -hmm. With fantasy baseball, it's you wake up, you set your lineups. Yep. Every single day, it, it's hard. It's a grind. And then you've got it's. You know what's the hard part is you got games that start at like one o'clock, and then you've got maybe players that don't start till like ten p.m. Yeah. And so it's like, well, I don't know if this guy's going to be in the lineup by the time this game starts. And you're always like dropping and picking up pitchers yeah. because you want pitchers that are like going that day. Like, there's no point in having a guy on your roster who's yeah. not going to pitch during that matchup. Like, it's it's a whole thing. So I had my uh, draft last night, which I almost completely forgot about. But late last night, also draft should never be two hours. Let's Try to limit that to like an hour, hour Can we get a, a pitch clock on those drafts? Yeah. One minute, 30 seconds per pick is That's way too, too long, long for me. That's um, but my buddy, Tom, who big Nats fan, uh, he was the one who also sets up this league. And he just so happened, luck of the draw, got the number one overall pick. I was number two. He took Shohei Antani. I don't yep. know if it's recency effect. I took Trey Turner. Yeah, I'm, well, Trey Turner is very good in fantasy baseball because yeah. he accumulates a bunch of different stats. He has the power numbers. He has... You know, a, a lot of hits, a lot of stolen bases. Stolen bases yeah. Like, he can help you in fantasy baseball. And he is not, I mean, after the World Baseball Classic, the show he just put on for Team USA, oh, hitting yeah. five home runs. Again, I don't know if that's recency effect, but, like, that could be a sign of things to come. I found myself drafting way too many National League East players. The National League is stacked. Yeah, like, it's insane. It's, and unfortunately, not too many Nationals players. I think my only Nationals, my team's name is uh, Manessas the Menace, so I had to draft Joy Manessas. Naturally. Um... 
But then, so later in the last round, you know, you're at the point where you're be- you're picking like your bench players. Um, and Tom, you know, it's a snake draft, so I, it's like I pick, then he get two picks, and then I pick, and then yada yada yada. So Tom ended up one of his last picks right before my last pick. He took Kyle Finnegan out of mm. the Nationals bullpen. I took Hunter Harvey out of the Nationals bullpen. Bullpen, we talked a lot about that. We think the Nats bullpen is going to be the strongest point of this roster. was last year. These are guys that are mainstays in the back of the bullpen. Especially going to get a lot of save opportunities with Tanner Rainey and Sean Doolittle seemingly out for the beginning of the season. Um, And Tom sent me this picture this morning. I guess on ESPN.com, you know, they sometimes have like updates from local reporters about each team. Yeah. And ESPN actually quoted me from when I was down. And this is not a humble brag. This is more of a funny thing because he's talking about how Davey Martinez sees Finnegan as more of a firearm reliever as opposed to the closer from the offset. That was one of the first stories I wrote when I was down in West Palm Beach. Bobby Blanco of Masson Reports. Big time. So Tom sent that to me and was like, I didn't know. I thought. I didn't know Kyle Finnegan wasn't going to be the closer. And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure Hunter Harvey's probably going to close the most games early on. That's yeah. kind of why I took Hunter Harvey. So right. he's like, you didn't give me that inside <laughs> source. And I was like, it's not my fault. You didn't read my blog, man. It's, that's what you get for being the ESPN insider yeah. here for, for fantasy baseball. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of funny. That huge for the brand. One, I did huge for the brand. Get that Masson logo on there. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So he was like, I didn't know that. And I was like, you got to read. Got to keep up. Keep up. Follow MassonSports.com, the Masson app, everything. The Masson All Access podcast. It'll help you dominate up. your fantasy baseball drafts. I can't guarantee that because I, I, I feel like I draft too much just like on, I don't know. And like, you may not be drafting that many nationals. I know, so right. the blog may not be helping you too sure. much in fantasy baseball. I, I, I'm good the first three rounds, but once we're getting to like the nitty gritty of back, of bench players and you know deep relievers and stuff like that, I was like, I, yeah, you're gonna start like swapping those guys out in like two weeks anyways because right. someone's gonna get hurt or someone's gonna start off slow. If someone on the someone who's a free agent is gonna start picking it up. So it's what separates easy. the good teams from the great teams, That's Bobby. True. And you gotta pay attention every single day. Okay. Yeah. Um, Real quick, we're going to get into real roster construction, not just fantasy roster construction, as we are a week away from opening day. Um, the Nationals have a couple of roster spots up for grabs over this last week. They are getting underway against the Yankees, as we are live on, on, on Mass Nationals Facebook page and YouTube channel. But real quick, wanted to get your kind of final reaction recap of the World Baseball Classic that ended yeah. Tuesday night. Team Japan versus Team USA. We got the matchup every baseball fan wanted, Shohei Otani striking out Mike Trout to not only end the game, but win the championship. Um, just drama all over the field. What a great baseball game to watch. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. And to everyone kind of giving Mike Trout some flack for you know coming up a little bit short in that big moment, I don't know anybody on the planet that could have hit Shohei Otani in that last at-bat after he goes multiple pitches 100 miles an hour and then throws one of the nastiest sliders I've like ever seen. I don't think the best baseball player on the planet, who very well could be Mike Trout, Mike Trout. I don't think anybody on the planet is hitting that slider. Well, maybe Shohei Otani is the best baseball player if you're phrasing it that way on the yeah. planet but you could argue Mike Trout's maybe the best overall hitter right. on the planet and, so and there was no chance yeah I mean if you make Mike Trout look a little bit lost <laughs> at the plate like, yeah come on there was some crazy stat that that was like his only 24th time in his major league career that he has had three swinging strikes in a single at bat 
which is like that's how is that possible? That's that's unfortunately it's Mike Trout. That's yeah. how it's possible. Yeah, unfortunately, that feels like it's every single Victor Robles at bat uh, <laughs> for the Nationals. Um, but yeah, I, I love this tournament. I thought it yeah. was so cool. It felt too short, only two weeks. You get other tournaments like the World Cup, the Olympics that feel like they last for a month. I understand why it has to be this short, but you know. Injuries obviously suck. You don't want to see players like Edwin Diaz and Jose Altuve go down with injuries, missing either whole seasons or chunks of whole seasons. But I still think it was a – I mean, you could tell it meant a lot to these players. Just read Mark Zuckerman's story from earlier today on Wednesday of Joey Manessis and his time playing for Team Mexico. Oh, yeah. It matters so much to them. And all the players saying that it felt, you know, as big, if not bigger, than a World Series. And I mean, I get the injury argument where you don't want to see key players getting hurt. We saw Edwin Diaz, as you mentioned, saw Jose Altuve as well. But the players care so much about these games, I'm sure that they rather would have gotten injured in a World Baseball Classic game than have a Gavin Lux type of injury Mm -hmm. in a spring training game, in a game that, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't really matter as you're just getting geared up for the season injuries are going to happen regardless of whether or not these guys were playing in spring training games or in World Baseball Classic games. So if you're in the camp of arguing that the World Baseball Classic shouldn't be a thing because key players get injured, get all the way out of here with that. Yeah, yeah. They're they're playing for a literal championship. Yeah, and it clearly means so much to them. Yeah, there's no championship for the Cactus League or the Grapefruit League. Like, that doesn't matter. Right. There's a championship being at stake here, and that's why you see a lot of these key players um you know, want to participate and join. I mean, the, nat- the Nationals, the Team USA lineup, lineup, maybe not so much the pitching side, but the lineup was stacked with oh, all-stars. It was unbelievable. Yeah, and, yeah. and th- hence why they made the final. The t- Dominican team, that, that was a huge upset. I mean, Puerto Rico is very good too, but they were one of the heavy favorites, and they right. went out in the quarterfinals. Yeah, and it's really fun to see too, you know, especially with Team Japan. You're seeing a lot of players that fans in the U.S. aren't normally seeing, but yeah. are a, fantastic baseball players, and B, you might see them in a few years sure. once they come over to Major League Baseball. Did you like, I, I, I kept thinking about like, especially last night, you know, it was such a close game. Trey Turner hits the home run early. Then the team, Ch- Japan goes up 3-1. Then Kyle Schober hits his bomb. And it's like, oh, setting up for some, but don't, yeah. didn't you kind of want like, oh, I kind of wish it was like a, a three-game series or like something. Yeah. Why like more than that? I do wish it was a little bit longer, as you mentioned. Like it, I understand that you know, the single elimination, like, makes it really fun. Yeah. But to have a team like the DR not make it terribly far, like, it's a fun upset, but also I'd want to see them in a three-game series because sure. they probably take two, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, it, same sort of thing. A, a three-game set between Team USA, Team Japan, that's probably split pretty evenly over a three-game series. And, you, you know, I think, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but the manager for Japan did such a great job managing that pitching staff with Shohei Itani, getting him ready, and, and you Darvish in the later innings. Yeah. But if this is a, like a three, five-game series, he probably can't do that because he's lining them up to make a start instead yeah. of coming out of the bullpen. I mean, what a move not starting Darvish, yeah. too, because you you know, you know throw Team USA off at that point. A lot of great chess pieces from last night. The broadcast saying that he didn't do that because the top of the Team USA lineup has really good numbers against you Darvish, so he's waiting for the right spot late in the game to have him face just the bottom of the order, and that's what ended up happening. And, right. of course, Japan wins. Now, I don't like that Team USA lost, but I don't feel myself as angry that they lost like I would watching like a Team USA basketball at the Olympics or, yeah. or, or you know a snowboarder in the Winter Olympics, something like that, or Team USA, the World Cup, something like that. But it, it's still a bummer that the Team USA lost. It is, but it was also very cool to see how much parity there was sure. in this tournament. I mean, you had... You know, Team Mexico, Team Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Japan, Dominican Republic, along with Team USA, all 
all of those teams could have made very solid cases to be champions of this tournament. Yeah, yeah, I think it's cool that, you know, it, it's a sport that we call our national pastime, but it also means so much to these other nations as yep. well. So it's a sport that's growing. And you get teams like in Europe, like Great Britain, the Netherlands, um, Italy playing in this kind of thing. And the, yeah. you can see the game is spreading. So that's that's really, really cool. So congratulations, Team Japan, Team USA. See you in 2026. Hopefully you get that back. Um, all right, switching gears back to the major leagues. Now, Joey Manessas, like I said, returned to Nationals camp earlier today. You're seeing guys from Team USA go back to their respective camps over the next couple of days. So a week from opening day, you know, the Nationals made some roster cuts earlier this week, they're down to uh, pretty much one more bench spot between uh, Jeter Downs, Michael Chavez, and uh, Matt Adams, while yeah. uh, Stone Garrett got optioned down, and Alex Call officially named the fourth outfielder. You and I were talking before the pod. You were kind of curious that it happened so soon, I guess, that you were thinking now uh, Stone Garrett would get more of an opportunity to, to battle for that last spot. Yeah, I mean, Stone Garrett, I know, didn't come in as, as a huge offseason addition, but it still seemed like if the Orioles... Excuse me, the Orioles. The Nationals wanted to carry a bunch of outfielders mm -hmm. that Stone Garrett would be the natural choice there. I think I'm also just more surprised that it has come down to now Jeter Downs, Matt Adams, and Michael Chavis, like you mentioned, really thought going into this offseason that Carter Keeboom would be a part of that discussion. Obviously, has a setback with his injury, isn't able to be a part of that discussion for the final bench spot. Jeter Downs has been impressive defensively. He hasn't been all that great at the plate in spring training. I know Matt Adams is kind of a fun story, but do you really need a power-hitting lefty as your final bench spot? I understand it could be useful, but kind of feels like a Dom Smith duplicate there yeah. with Matt Adams. They fill very similar roles where they can really only play DH or first base, and they're giving you a sem similar kind of lefty power bat. And then Michael Chavis, he can play a few different places in the in infield, none of them spectacularly. So among this group, I'd probably lean towards Jeter Downs mm -hmm. to get the final spot here. But as you mentioned, seems like Ildemaro Vargas, Alex Call have locked down their spots on the bench, and the Nats just need one more. Yeah, and Riley Adams being, of course, the, Riley backup, Adams, yeah. the backup catcher there. Yeah, I, I think Downs has the highest upside, former top prospect in both the Red Sox and Dodgers systems. Um, all right, but definitely the Red Sox. Yes. Yeah, because he went to the Dodgers yep. with Josiah Gray. Um, so, you know, he has a higher upside as a former top prospect in the sport. They've been trying him out in different positions, too, not just shortstop, because obviously C.J. Abrams is going to take a bulk of the reps at shortstop moving into this season. He's back in the lineup this week after missing a couple of games uh, with some soreness. But uh, Michael Chavez... He has some more flexibility as well. I think if you stick to one position, Jeter Downs probably plays better defense, especially at short right. than Chavez. So that's maybe the upside. Both don't excite too much at the plate. Again, I guess you would maybe give the potential to Jeter Downs right there just because of his, you know, time of being a top prospect and being in top organizations. Um man, Matt Adams, you mentioned I mean it is it is a nice story. I think the, the Nationals obviously like him they have a history with him. They were the one team that gave him an opportunity to come to camp. The left-handed bat thing, you're right. I mean, he does feel like a, just another Dom Smith. You know, Jamir Candelario, Caber Ruiz are going to be looking to offer a lot of power. They're both switch hitters, so they can hit from the left side as well. And then you got C.J. Abrams and Luis Garcia, both natural lefties who provide that kind of lefty matchup right there. Not power hat, power bats like Matt Adams, but maybe hope, hopefully not as high strikeout numbers either. So. And their outfielders pretty much right-handed hitters. Um, 
uh, except for Corey Dickerson out there. So they, I think that's kind of a negative for Matt Adams and that they are per, they don't need a lefty bat right, right now, right? Like they got that covered. So he, he's really going to try to have to force his way on. Be like, no, you have to carry me because I'm your best option off the bench. And when you're looking at the group that he's in alongside Jeter Downs and Michael Chavis, both of those guys are versatile mm-hmm. defensively, especially Jeter Downs, as you mentioned. Davey Martinez has said earlier on this spring that he even thinks Downs could play a quality defensive center field if he needed him to. So if you're Matt Adams, you have to be so overwhelmingly good at the plate that it makes up for your lack of defensive versatility on the bench. Yeah. Because when you look at the Nationals bench right now, you have Ildemaro Vargas, who can play pretty much any position you need him to in the infield. He also got a start in the outfield yep. in just the a few games class. ago. So he can play pretty much everywhere. You have Alex Call, who can play any defensive outfield position. Probably would prefer to keep him in a corner outfield, but could put him in center if you needed him to. And then, of course, Riley Adams is your backup catcher. So... Vargas and Call have the defensive versatility, and I think if you're looking for another bench spot, you'd like to keep the versatility somewhere because that's what makes a bench player valuable. And Jeter Downs could very easily slot in as a defensive replacement. He's pretty quick. He could be a decent pinch runner. So I think Jeter Downs probably just makes the most sense here over somebody like Matt Adams who just hasn't been hitting the ball super well over his last few seasons in his career. And Michael Chavis, I think, is probably in that conversation as well, but I'd lean towards the potential of downs. Yeah, he's 12, Matt Adams, 12 for 37 for a 324 average in 17 games on spring training, but only the one home run, five doubles, uh, no triples, uh, and four RBI. So, yeah, he can hit for power, but it's not like he's hit like leading the team right now in home runs. And, right. and you're right. I think the defensive versatility or lack thereof really hurts him because he can only play first or DH, really. They're not going to throw him in right field or corner outfield spot. But you could do that with an Ildemaro Vargas, possibly a Chavez, possibly a Jeter Downs, although, you, like you said, they probably like him more in center. Um, and then, you know, you don't necessarily need a straight-up backup first baseman because Candelario can do that. I mean, right. if, if, if you need to give Dom Smith a breather, Candelario can shut over to first. He played pretty good first base for the Dominican Republic in the WBC. And then Vargas right there slides in as your third baseman, who we, who played really well there. Arguably their best defensive third baseman all of all last year, um, even though it was a short amount of time. So that kind of spot or need for Matt Adams is, is basically full. Like you said, he needs to be overwhelmingly good to earn this spot on this roster. And I think... Just because of the versatility, the prospect upside, even though they could send him down, Jeter Downs might have the leg up because of how young he is and he can play multiple positions. Right. And I know that Ildemaro Vargas kind of has the infield versatility covered. But again, with Jeter Downs, why would it hurt to have another guy who can play second base, shortstop, potentially third base if they need him out there, maybe an outfield spot as well? You mentioned the first base versatility or lack thereof with Matt Adams kind of goes against Michael Chavis too. I mean, Chavis played over a hundred games at first base in Pittsburgh last year. I know the Nats are probably viewing him more as a third base, second base kind of guy, but he hasn't played a ton of third base and second base in his career. Last year, he was mostly a first baseman. Mm -hmm. So that, that hurts him as well. And to, to give credit to Matt Adams, the one thing that I think the Nationals do see value in is if it's a close game late you need a pinch hitter. You need someone who can hit for multiple bases or hit it out of the park. Matt Adams would be your clear yeah, choice be of that those guy. three. But like I said, you're going to have a combination of Candelario, Smith, Ruiz, and and um, Riley Adams. One of those guys will be on the bench, presumably, in that game anyway. So 
would Matt Adams really be? I mean, I guess it depends on matchup, but you got two switch hitters there and then a lefty and a righty. So do you really need this power lefty bat? We know the Nationals have been fans of it in the past, but with all the versatility they've been bringing in recently, he just doesn't fill that hole for me. Uh, that, that void. There's no void. There's no reason for him to be on the team, I guess. Yeah, and I think given the current construction of the team, I think it makes more sense to have somebody who's a little more defense first yeah, on the bench than sure. somebody like Matt Adams, who's a bat first pinch hitter type. And, and on that point, the Nationals have talked about and have shown defense is taking priority this year. They want to be more. They kind of, they haven't said this part, but they kind of understand, you know, they're not going to hit for a lot of power this year. They're not going to probably outscore other a lot of other teams. Like in, you know, if it's a barn burner type game, like eight, nine runs a game. But if they play solid defense and play small ball the right way, they can sneak out some games more so hopefully than they did at the rate last year. Matt Adams doesn't fit that blueprint, right? right? Like he is all or nothing. And when you got guys that can do a little bit of pretty good at everywhere, I think they'll, they'll rather take that north. But, I mean, there's a week left. He could come out and just start launching bombs and, and then be like, all right, fine, you know, we'll, we'll give you a shot. The other good sure. thing is that it is a minor league deal. I'm not quite sure the specifics about that deal. You know, he was not in professional baseball, you know, in terms of major leagues and, and official minor leagues affiliates last year. He played yeah. indie ball last year. So I can't imagine there's too many other teams looking at Matt Adams being like, we'll give you a spot. So if he doesn't make the team, I would assume he would accept uh, a minor league assignment to Rochester, go be their starting first baseman, DH, what have you. And you know who knows what happens. I mean, he probably has an opt-out in you know may or june or something like that and yeah. then he can go seek other opportunities kind of hard to say i mean you don't know specifically with matt adams like you mentioned it's entirely possible that he just doesn't make this team and just kind of calls it sure last year he played indie ball does he really want to go back to triple a hope for a chance at the major leagues yeah given what he had done in his career previously i don't know if that's a move that matt adams wants to make but We'll see. We'll see, see if he's able to make the team. Well, we did want to talk a lot about the pitching staff uh, this week because that seems like where the most attention has been focused. Of course, we talked a lot about the Kate Cavalli injury last week. He is now officially headed for Tommy John surgery, will not pitch at all this year. So we're looking for his return at this time next year in 2024. That leaves a, a question mark of sorts in the rotation, but that is, Question mark was filled pretty quickly and Chad Cool seemingly taking Kai Cavalli's spot. What are your thoughts on Cool becoming the now fifth starter in this rotation? Yeah, it was a question mark for about 24 hours yeah. until he talked to Davey Martinez the next day and he said that Chad Cool was the leader in the clubhouse to take that fifth spot in the starting rotation. I look, he's he's a veteran. He's been around for a while. He had a pretty solid stretch with the Pirates. Did not look great with the Rockies last year, but he's been solid in spring training so far. His last spring training start goes five innings, just one earned run against the Tigers. Last year, not so good, though. 572 ERA, a whip over 1.5. You're probably thinking that since he played for the Rockies, then his course field numbers probably inflated that ERA a bunch. But his ERA was actually just a 504 at home and a 632 on the road. So Yikes. surprisingly, he was better at course field than he was on the road. So just overall, not a good season for Chad Cool, but still a solid number four, number five starter in the big leagues for a good stretch. He has a career 474 ERA. Like I said, better in Pittsburgh. He's just entering his age 30 season. I think he's a solid option for the number five starter spot. You just kind of know what you get with Chad Cool. He's probably going to give you five innings, four earned runs most times out. Yeah, you're hoping he's 
an inning eater. And um, yeah. I, unfortunately, for the, the the timing of this for the Nationals, they have kind of already sent their other options down uh, from Major League Camp and Johanna Don and Corey Abbott. They're going to make a majority of the starts at AAA Rochester. Now we saw Don, of course, struggle last year, not make his way back up to the Major Leagues. Corey Abbott was serviceable, but kind of like you just said, you know, you're expecting like four innings and probably around five runs. That's kind of what you're getting from Corey Abbott as well. Right. But the Nationals were running out of, because this was when Cavalli was still in the rotation, the Nationals were running out of innings for these guys, and they knew they had to stretch them out. Um, so you're kind of stuck with what you have left over. You got guys like Willie Peralta. Of course, Trevor Williams is already going to be in this rotation. Johanna Don, like I said, and Corey Abbott already gone down. And we've seen Paulo Espino be kind of the uh, Davey Martinez likes to call him his Swiss, Swiss army knife uh, kind of fills a lot of roles, but he was way better as a reliever last year than a starter, a two twelve ERA coming out of the bullpen compared to a five eighty one ERA and never won a game as a starter for Paulo Espino. So I think you're right. Chad cool's track record shows that he is serviceable in this role. This isn't ideal. The nationals would much rather have one of their top pitching prospects, you know, making 25 ish starts this year for them. Right. Um, but I, I think this is this is exactly why you bring in a guy like Chad Cool on a minor league deal for spring training is to fill in this role if someone goes down and here we are Chad Cool is going to be your fifth starter to start the start the year yeah and Mike Rizzo said he felt pretty confident with the options that they had in house mm-hmm. but outside of Chad Cool there's not really a ton of depth behind him if somebody else happens to go down in this rotation or Chad Cool just doesn't really pitch well. You mentioned probably the two most probable options after him would be Paolo Espino, who made 19 starts last year. Corey Abbott, who was decent last year, 525 ERA, nine starts in 16 games. I mean, he was fine. But outside of some of those older veterans, there's not a ton of potential depth there for somebody that could really give you any upside with mm-hmm. that fifth starting spot, which I think is probably the most discouraging thing about this Cavalli injury outside of obviously the the worries for Cavalli himself is just that that spot goes from a young exciting starter mm-hmm. that you were hoping would be part of what the Nationals are building this year which is again not the win-loss record but the development of their young guys it goes from that to just somebody that you're hoping is going to be serviceable yeah. for a while it, there aren't really that many prospects to look at right now you mentioned Yohan Adon 14 big league starts last year ERA over seven he was not ready last year. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll be ready this season. Cole Henry? Don't really know what's up with Cole Henry. You said he was, you know, pitching yeah, at minor uh, league camp. And- he's been at minor league camp. He's down there. Uh, apparently, he has been throwing two live hitters, but I don't know if that means, like, in a simulated game and just bullpen sessions. You know, it's, it's baby steps for Cole Henry coming back from thoracic outlet syndrome surgery. Yeah, baby steps for Cole Henry. Maybe Jake Irvin, I would throw out. The Nats' 20th-ranked prospect. Mm-hmm. Had a 180 ERA so far in five innings of spring work. Had a 479 ERA at AA last season, which isn't great, but he had 15 games there. He's entering his age 26 season, Mm -hmm. so maybe he gets the bump up to AAA Rochester at some point early on in the year after getting 15 games at AA last season. Maybe their 20th-ranked prospect in Jake Irvin is a possibility at some point. I know they like Jake Irvin from his time and camp, um, but... That is a big leap, and it kind of goes along with, like, a, a Jackson Rutledge. Everyone's going to be like, well, where's Jackson Rutledge? He, he got promoted. Well, I guess technically demoted, but that it is a promotion and that he hasn't been a double-A. So he got to send down to double-A Harrisburg. So he'll start the season there. But you can't expect Jackson Rutledge, who's now your 11th prospect, 
to make a major league debut anytime soon. I yeah. mean, that's not coming at the earliest to the end of this season, probably not even at all this year. So, right. I mean, we're so used to looking at this top prospects list and being like, okay, there are three or four guys here that could theoretically make their debuts this year. It's so many position players now. And then Cavalli, who's already heard. Right. And Yarlin Susana, who's a relief pitcher who hasn't pitched above low A ball yet um, and is, what, 19 years old? So, you know, it. you're right. There is not a lot of depth, especially at the higher levels of the minor league. That's something the Nationals are still working on. You're looking at all these guys um, that, again, that are position players like Wood, Hassel, Green, uh, Brady House. They're all in the lower levels. Um, and, again, lacking a pitching uh, arms that could come up and make a start. Your 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 options are going to be. I, I'm I'm expecting to see Johanna Don and Corey Abbott make a handful of starts early this season. I mean, it's yeah. just going to have to happen. I think because you're going to have guys. Um, I mean, the early off days do help and help kind of space out some starts, but. You know the Nationals are going to be cautious with Mackenzie Gore starting off. Probably same thing with Josiah Gray. They want to ramp up his innings, but over the long haul, not just early on, right? And, you know, you're going to have a guy like uh, Patrick Corbin who has pitched better this spring, but you, again, can't guarantee anything with him based on right. his recent track record. So we're going to be looking at the same situation where you're going to have a burnt bullpen. You might need to bring up a fresh arm and just be like, hey, you need to wear this start and get into the six no matter what. Yeah, the only two name, uh, two other names that I thought of, two guys that we saw briefly last year, Jackson Tatro, Evan Lee. Right. Seems like Evan Lee, more Both of a bullpen arm injuries. at this point. Mm -hmm. Evan Lee has kind of transitioned into more of that long relief bullpen role. It seems like had four games last year, just one of them was a start, 415 ERA. Solid. Mm. I think Evan Lee is a possibility to potentially make some spot starts. But as you mentioned, both him and Jackson Tatro coming off of injuries. So yeah. they wouldn't be available for this fifth spot in their rotation. Jackson Tatro looked solid, I guess, yeah. last year. I mean, uh, four starts in the big leagues and ERA just over five. You'll take that from a pretty young guy. I remember him making two really significant strong starts. Like right. it actually like, oh, this guy can possibly you know stay here for the long haul. But last I checked, he hasn't even begun throwing down at spring training. Yeah. Uh, but that could have been a couple weeks ago. Maybe he has. Even then, you're not looking for him to make any starts, even at Rochester until maybe May. Yeah. Right. So like yeah, those two guys coming back from injuries. Yeah. The injury bug has definitely hit this national squad specifically in their pitching. But um it I, I, I think Chad Cool is again, like I said, the type of guy that you bring in on a minor league deal, he has a track record of starting in this league. He's going to be your fifth guy. You know, you know. I think the only difference possibly between him and Kay Cavalli, uh, besides the age and the excitement and the prospect level of it, is that you know he's not going to strike out as many as Cavalli will, but you might get similar results in terms of how much runs they're going to give up, how many innings they could possibly eat. Because like you said, Cool can pitch in this league. It's just not going to be, you know, very pretty at all times. He's going to be hopefully more of an innings eater than anything else. Right. And I think from kind of breaking down the options behind Chad Cool as well, I wouldn't mind seeing Mike Rizzo bring in maybe another type of Chad Cool pitcher sure. on a minor league deal. Yeah. We have seen guys like Willie Peralta struggle in spring training. There is not a ton of minor league depth at the AAA level at this point. You hope that... After the Cade Cavalli injury, the Nationals don't get hit with another injury in their starting rotation. But if they did, I mean, That's you'd be looking at, at Corey Abbott mm -hmm. and at Paolo Espino. Paolo Espino figures to be a pretty important piece of this Nationals bullpen, especially with some inexperienced starters who might not be going super deep into games. Paolo Espino, I think, is going to be pretty valuable if you need him to come in in the fifth or sixth inning of games, eat a few innings there. So ideally, you don't really want to take him out of the bullpen. 
So you're kind of just left with Corey Abbott yeah. as a potential option. I, I guess Willie Peralta as well, but I would hope that Mike Rizzo is looking at the depth right now and saying, yeah, maybe we can bring in another arm on a minor league deal. Nothing, nothing big. You don't need to bring in a number three, number four starter, just somebody to add some more depth, especially at the triple A level. Yeah. I guess I should be like more specific and like they have depth. They have guys that can pitch innings, right? Like, you know, they're, it's not like they're scrambling to add pitchers, but they need starters. They need guys to go one through like five or sixth inning uh, on every fifth day. Uh, and with Cake, like you said, and if another injury happens, it's, a, it's kind of a disaster for this rotation now. Yeah. Because then, I mean, it also depends on who, of course, but like, you know, you can't afford to, we don't have, there's no other guy to step up uh, besides Paulo Espino, who, like you just mentioned, is probably better off in a long relief role facing a lineup once going, you know, two, maybe two and a third innings. Right. And then getting out of there. Um, the one name we haven't mentioned yet is Thaddeus Ward. Thad Ward, uh, Rule Five pick, has been a starter throughout his minor league career. The Nationals are now viewing him as a uh, another kind of long term reliever uh, out of this bullpen. He has to stay on the roster the whole season. He is expected; it's not made official yet, of course, but expected to make this team um, as a Rule Five pick. And Amy and I have talked a lot about it. So he'll probably be in a lot of unfortunately cleanup duty roles, but with you know. Kekavali now going down. You have Chad Cool, who was maybe going to be in a similar role, bumped up to the rotation. It's going to be him and Espino that are going to have to maybe pitch a little bit more in higher leverage situations if the starters cannot go as deep because you're missing a guy because you're not expecting, like I said, Cool to go five plus. Right. I, I think you could end up seeing Thad Ward and Paulo Espino in a lot of fifth innings yeah. this year, and not that you don't want Thad Ward to be a starter at all. When Mm -hmm. the Nationals first drafted him, it seemed like they were kind of open to him either being a starter or coming out of the bullpen. But if your long-term plan for Thad Ward is for him to be a long reliever type of pitcher, not that he is a top prospect, Mm -hmm. but he is still a, a good enough prospect in your top 30 at this point, where if your plan for him is to make him a long reliever, you wouldn't want to completely mess up his routine by giving him a spot start here and there coming out of the bullpen sometimes that could really throw Thad Ward off who is not pitched above the double a level so far in his career yeah I think you would like to keep him ideally in some sort of a routine coming out of the bullpen understanding what his role is there rather than giving him some random starts here and there and risk ruining the development of the number one overall pick in the rule five draft yeah four earned runs in um uh, eight and two-thirds innings over eight appearances in spring for Thad Ward. 11 strikeouts. His strikeout numbers are there. That's kind of a signal of a of a pretty solid starter. Like I said, he's been a starter for most of his career. Um, you know, I back to cool, you know, Chad, because you, you mentioned routine, and I was actually talking to Chad Cool after that one start you mentioned in spring training against the Tigers. Um, that was my last day down there. And, you know, he talked about how being in a starter's routine is, is more beneficial for him. He, he yeah. enjoys that better um, than, you know, being in a reliever role where he has been a little bit in his career, but been a starter more. But he's just used to being in, in that starter's routine more often than a reliever's routine. So he can plan, prepare. He says he likes it going into the meetings, um, you know, learning, you know, doing his five days, learning how he's going to attack a full lineup for multiple innings, um, and then going on from there. So perhaps that's in Cool's benefit that he falls into that routine. Like I said, he's that that routine has been 
only going on for now what two weeks at this point because uh, that was his first and only start or, or first start of spring um, and not coming out of the bullpen. So, is he enough time to kind of ramp up? And eat a lot of innings before the start of the season. I mean, he's not going to make his start until what the second week of the season because of the off day after opening day. But yeah, it, it's it is interesting that he did come out and say that this is going to be more beneficial for me and therefore hopefully the Nationals. Yeah, he's very solidly the fifth starter. I think he is the best option to be the fifth starter at mm. this point. But the depth behind him leaves some room to be desired. Yeah, sure. And all right, well, let's talk about the guys that are behind the starters in the bullpen because we know the four guys, maybe even five that are for sure. You got Carl Edwards Jr., Hunter Harvey, Kyle Finnegan, and... Rosmo Ramirez. Rosmo Ramirez, come back on a one-year deal as your back end of your bullpen. All four of those guys were very solid last year. That's a strong part of this roster right now. But who's going to fill the rest of the eight-man bullpen? Um, there's like eight relievers that are still in camp that could yep. possibly take over or take these spots. Again, like I said, I think one of them is going to go to Thad Ward. I think they're going to keep the Rule 5 pick as long as they can, as long as they can justify. Um, but we'll, we'll see if... I, so let's let's count Thad as, as a... Uh, sure. As the fifth guy. So there's three spots open for this bullpen one week to go. Yeah, you mentioned the eight guys that are left. It's Anthony Banda, Alex Colome, Paolo Espino, Hobie Harris, Andres Machado, Willie Peralta, Mason Thompson, Thad Ward mm -hmm. are the eight guys that are battling for the final four spots in the Nationals bullpen. You mentioned Thad Ward. I think he is pretty much close to a lock being the number one overall pick in the Rule of Five draft. The Nationals have to keep him on the roster this year or else he will be returned back to the Boston Red Sox organization. So Thad Ward, I think, makes this bullpen. He hasn't been awesome in spring training, a 415 ERA, but you mentioned the strikeout numbers have been pretty good. I think he's made a solid enough case to make this roster. Outside of Thad Ward, I think your other close to lock is Paolo Espino. Yeah. 113 ERA through his first five games of the spring. He appeared in 42 games, as you mentioned last year. 19 of them were starts. A 484 ERA, which isn't great. But like you said, David Martinez likes him as the Swiss Army Knife type out of the bullpen. If you need a spot start, that could be Paolo Espino. If you need some long relief cleanup, that could be Paolo Espino. So Ward and Espino kind of fill similar roles, but I think it's a very necessary role for the Nationals this year. So I'd put both of those guys as two of my four making the bullpen out of that group. Yeah, I agree. I think that Paulo Espino is, is, has already got, like he already had his foot in the door per se. Like he was already here, yeah. established. The coaching staff likes him. David Martinez and Mike Rizzo like him. They like what he can bring. You know, if an emergency start, he's, he's made a couple of like, hey, you're starting today like we're telling you this morning starts and and fared pretty well um so they like that about him and then also the long uh multiple innings that he can cover coming out of the bullpen if a starter does not get too deep um so i like that ward and espino are going to fill in two of those spots leaving two more you know guy that you mentioned in the andres machado that dave martinez really likes he, again another guy that was here last year is returning um i i think he actually pitched decently i'm pretty sure for venezuela in the world baseball classic he's yep. a guy that he's also just a character in that clubhouse that i think that um uh, davy likes having around um he keeps that bullpen kind of loose they're a very tight-knit group um you know results will vary and will be determined whether machado actually makes this team but he's a guy that you know has been there he, he was very similar to victor arano who victor arano has not pitched in a long time he's got nerve impingement in his shoulder so machado coming into this spring training might have been battling 
Victor Arano for a, a position, but now that Arano's down, Machado might have the leg up and kind of having an easier path to making this roster. Yeah, I like Machado as well. The underlying numbers, his advanced metrics were not as good as his ERA last year would indicate. He had a 334 ERA in 51 games, but he had a 331 ERA in 54 games last year. That's a pretty solid number for Andres Machado, and I think he makes this team as well. So he would get my third spot. My fourth spot would go to Harris, would go to Hobie Harris. He has not allowed a run through his first eight innings of spring training. Just one hit, six strikeouts, one walk. He doesn't have big league experience, but he did have a 204 ERA in AAA last year. I don't really know what else he would have to do in spring training to make this team. He has outperformed pretty much everybody else in this bullpen group right now. So Harris, for me, gets my final bullpen spot. It's hard to argue with those numbers, right? Like, it's yeah. hard to argue hasn't given up a run yet and be like, you you didn't make this roster. The only thing going against Hobie Harrison is also true for Mason Thompson is that they can both be optioned down. Yep. So they have that flexibility. Not saying that they'll never make it back up here this season. I'm sure we'll see them pitch multiple innings. But right out the gate, you know, I can see the Nationals giving an, a veteran like Willie Peralta and Alex Colomay, even though Colomay has not turned out very well so far this spring, an opportunity out of the opening day roster to kind of pitch better in a regular season game and get going and let uh, Hobie Harris and Mason Thompson get their innings at AAA and come up when needed. I think that's their only thing against them. That's a pretty big deal in my mind. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think having the option flexibility gives those guys more of a chance to not make the opening day roster, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Here's my question, though, for you, Bobby. Yeah. Of all of the guys that we have mentioned, Sean Doolittle, unfortunately, no longer a part of this conversation, sure. had to be shut down, not pitching. Where's the lefty? There's not one, is the, is the problem. Anthony Banda is the only left-handed pitcher still at Major League Camp for the Nationals right now, and he had an ERA over seven and a half yeah. through his first seven spring training games. He was better yesterday. He had a scoreless inning. But can you, two questions. First off, can you justify putting Anthony Banda on your opening day roster considering the fact that he has not been good in spring training? He has a career ERA over five and a half. He had a six, seven, five ERA last year. Can you justify putting him on this opening day roster just because he is the only lefty? And then the flip side of that is, can you afford not to have a lefty in your bullpen, period? Well, that was going to be my my. my my answer to your question with a question is that, do you need a lefty? Do you, uh, the, you know, I, you'd sure like one, I think. Yeah, but. I guess. But like, you know, the pitching, uh, that's not as much of a part of the game anymore because of the, uh, the three batter rule minimum. Right. Sure. So like you're not playing as much specific matchups. I would think for me personally, if I'm the Martinez, yes, I want a lefty in here, but I'm I'm also going to value results more over just the need for you do this one thing that's cool like I I that's awesome good for you but if I have guys that do a slightly different thing a little bit better I might go that route too sure. um it's it's a tough question I I don't I I'm not giving I don't think I'm giving Anthony Banda the final roster spot in this bullpen solely because he's a lefty he yeah. would have to pitch really well over the next couple of weeks or couple of days I should say. And say, hey, I'm forcing my way on this roster. I'm I'm finally ramping up. I'm I'm good to go. I, I I'm not just giving. I mean, again, t- 
taking you know spring training results with a grain of salt, but a six seventy five ERA that you mentioned he just brought down yesterday. Yeah, that's that's and an, that was his an improvement, and that was his ERA in the bigs last year. Yeah, so it's not like we're just basing this off of his AAA numbers. So I don't think I'm, I'm I don't think I can justify. Well, your results aren't there, but you're the only option we've got for a lefty. It is tough. I I can't think of a bullpen that's gone north with strictly righties or you know strictly left whatever it may be. I mean, yeah, you would like that matchup. I mean, maybe it doesn't matter that much because you've got now two left-handed starters in your rotation: Mackenzie Gore and Patrick Corp. I mean, yeah, but they're the only two left-handed pitchers well, right, on the team on, at that. But point. on those days, you're th- you're thinking, okay, you know, the I guess you'll leave all the left-handed hitters on the bench, and then once you bring in your writers, they're getting a lot of pinch hitters. I don't know. It's it's a t- yeah. that's why we're not the manager, right? But, right. Um, it's it's. I think no, because from my understanding, yes, Sean Doolittle's not going to be ready for opening day. Also, you know, we, we're sitting here talking about this, trying to break this down, but how important is the opening day roster really? Right? It's it matters for one game, and then it probably could change by Saturday, right? Like, sure. So it's, but it is fun to talk about. But I, I, I'm going to go on the assumption that Sean Doolittle will be ready to go sometime in April. Yeah. I mean, that's probably best case scenario. Maybe not. I mean, he's, it's not like he's not hurt, hurt pitching. I mean, I saw a report today saying from Jesse Doherty saying that he's going to come north with the team and then a week later go back to Florida and start ramping up. So maybe by the end of April, we'll see Sean Doolittle be ready to come up and there's your lefty. Right. And I think I can get by for a couple of weeks without a lefty. And maybe you don't. Maybe you, you're like, all right, well, actually, we know we need to bring him up because our righties can't do, can't do all of this. Yeah. I mean, it's going to hurt them matchup-wise, sure. right? Not having any lefties out of the bullpen. I know that it doesn't matter as much as it used to a few years ago because right. you have the three-batter minimum, like you said. But if there are three hitters due up and two of them are lefties, you sure would like to have a lefty out of yeah. the bullpen. And to not have any of that flexibility, if you're Davey Martinez, it's a really tough position to be in. However, I agree with you. You can't really justify putting Anthony Banda on the roster right now, given the fact that his spring training ERA is at a 675, and you'd be putting him on this opening day roster over two guys that we've mentioned in Hobie Harris and Mason Thompson. Harris, like I said, hasn't allowed a run through his first eight innings of spring training, just one hit, six strikeouts. And Mason Thompson Mm -hmm. had an ERA below three in his age 24 season at the big league level last year. That's a really valuable pitcher that, I'm sure the Nationals will use at some point this year, even if he's not on the opening day roster. But you, you can't really justify having Band on there just because he's a left-handed pitcher. Yeah, if you're lo- if you're taking off, if you're just looking at these names or just the numbers, right? Like you're not looking at who they are or or you know what they do. You're gonna take Harris. You're gonna take um, a Thompson, someone like that yeah. over over Banda. But uh, yeah, I, I I just I can't justify him having. You know, and, and I guess his splits are he's a traditional lefty, but he still gives up a 264 average against left handed hitters. Yeah, it's not awesome. And a 718 OPS. So, you know, it, well, if there was something that we could point on Anthony Banda's uh, stat line and be like, well, yes, he gives a, lo- a lot of runs, but at least he doesn't walk anybody, or at least he doesn't, str- at least he strikes out a lot. Okay, maybe you can make that argument, but nothing really jumps off on the page at me and be like, okay, this guy's deserving a roster spot for now. I mean, I just can't go north with him right at this point just because right. he's left-handed. The only thing we've said good about him, unfortunately, is that he's left-handed. Yeah. And interesting, too, that the Nationals made 
two uh, bigger name, maybe not big additions in Alex Colome and Willie Peralta, but yeah. at this point, neither of us have them making the bullpen. No, I mean, those are guys that you saw coming in when they were signed. You're like, especially Colome, you know, with his experience closing games. Um, yeah, former all-star. Former all-star. You would think, okay, that's a guy, especially with Doolittle coming back from injury, that can probably anchor the back end of this bullpen. And they've just not, not only have they not been, good like pitching it seems like they're both struggling with the pitch clock like a lot of these younger guys which i think is a little underrated you're talking about guys like harris um uh thompson even band of last year at triple a you know they have pitched with this before they're used to it from what i've seen colome and peralta really struggle with it and it's kind yeah. of thrown them off i mean i'm not saying it's going to derail their entire careers or even their seasons this year but it's just like they seem off because of this pitch clock and they're used to coming in slowing the game down because all the all they're used to getting is one inning, right? So yeah. it's like they're used to controlling that inning and their tempo, and this is throwing them off a little bit from what I've seen, and, and they just haven't been able to bounce back. Yeah, and whether it's the pitch clock or something else, they've just both flat out not been very good yeah. in spring training, and sure. you can't really justify putting them in the bullpen at this point. And that's why, you know, we say this all the time, but when you get a minor league guy, when you get a veteran like this on a minor league deal, it's kind of no harm, no foul. It's like you're, he's on a, sure. you're not committing a lot of money to him, long-term deals, whatever, um, you're just giving this guy a chance to fight for a rush button. If he doesn't make it, he doesn't make it. It's yeah. you, you move on and you hope that, you know, whatever relievers you choose to option back down to triple leg, start off well. And when you need a backup guy, you can bring them up because that's something that these guys don't have is that roster flexibility like Thompson will have. Um, even Thaddeus Ward doesn't have that response, uh, that flexibility because he has to be offered back to the Red Sox. But, um, you know, t a guy like uh, Thompson and Hobie Harris do have that options attached for this year, this year and can go back and forth between AAA and the major leagues. So Bobby of the group of eight, my four Thad Ward, Andres Machado, Paolo Espino. And despite the options, like you mentioned, I'm going Hobie Harris claiming that fourth spot in the bullpen outside of the four locks that we've already talked about. What are your four guys out of that group of eight? I'm going Andres Machado, Paulo Espino, uh, Thad Ward, recluding him, right? Yep. The last one's tough. The last one is tough. Hobie Harris and Mason Thompson, like you mentioned, have the options. They have a little bit more roster flexibility. But outside of those two guys, we've seen a lot of struggles from the rest of the group of eight. Well, then I'm going with... I'm going with Mason Thompson because I, I, I think he's been here. I mean, I'm not saying this is against Hobie Harris, but I'm, you know, he's kind of been here around longer. The Nationals gave up, you know, Daniel Hudson for him. You know, they, they he's one of their guys that they brought in, right? They, they believe in Mason Thompson. He's also a guy that they've tinkered with maybe giving, letting him go a couple multiple innings, um, even maybe like being their opener at times. So I, I think they like Mason Thompson. That's nothing against Harris. I think we'll see Hobie Harris up eventually and maybe sooner rather than later, especially if he continues pitching this well at, at Rochester. But I, I think they just have this um, loyalty to Mason Thompson, maybe if you will. So I, I, I'm going to go Machado, Espino, Ward, and Thompson to join Edwards, Harvey, Ramirez, and uh, uh, Finnegan. Yeah, my money would be on one of Harris and Thompson. Mm -hmm. I, I think those are kind of the final two roster spots at this point. The last bullpen spot, I think, is up for grabs, at least in my opinion, between Harris and Thompson. And the last bench spot, mm -hmm. in my opinion, again, down to Downs and Chavis. I would give the edge to Harris and Jeter Downs. Yeah, I would give Downs and Thompson. Um, but that's not a bad thing, right? Like it's not a problem 
like I just said, like it's not the the opening day roster isn't a big thing in the grand scheme of things. It's not a problem if Harris or Thompson don't make the opening day roster. They'll be up sometime. Yeah, they have options. Soon. They have flexibility. And you'll see them pitch at Nationals Park plenty of times this season. So I don't think that's a big deal. It's just maybe you decide. You know, you take who's best up north, and maybe that is Harris. Maybe they're like, you know what, Harris has proven that he deserves this spot. Let's give him this chance. Because, like you said earlier, we've said all along for the past year and a half plus, this is all about the future development. You're looking at can Harris and Thompson be long term pieces in this bullpen, long term uh, pieces for the Nationals' future. So, give them a shot. I'm not saying throw them to the Wolves, but kind of throw them to the Wolves, right? Like, you know, you're starting with the Braves. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's the eighth inning. You're going against Ronald Cunha Jr. Good luck, kid. Well, I mean, even in the case of Mason Thompson, I know he's a little bit younger, but still at a 292 ERA in 24 games last year. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't really be throwing Mason Thompson to the Wolves if sure. he was on this opening day roster. He has a 25-game sample size of proving that he can be a pretty good big league reliever. And maybe that's why they go, and in my mind, that's why they go with Thompson because sure. he's kind of been there, done that. And, right. And, and Whereas Toby Harris is more of fit. a, doesn't really need to prove anything else at AAA, but... You know, if he needs to start there, he but can we can kind of bring him along, and we'll we'll see him sooner, probably rather than later. Sure, yeah, yeah. Either way, I think you have to be impressed with both of those guys um, so far in spring. Again, this bullpen is going to be knock on wood. You know, the strong point of this roster once again. I think those top four guys. You know, it's going to be tricky, but if the Nationals can manufacture a lead and the starter can give some depth, I would trust those four guys. Uh, at the back end to lock down some early victories. And maybe the Nationals can pull some. I mean, looking at their schedule, I mean, I know you got the Braves to start. That's tough. You got the Rays. Then you go to Colorado to face the Rockies. That's always a tough place to pitch. Then you have the Angels. Obviously, we know who, that who's in that lineup. We just talked about Mike Trout and Shohei Atani. The Guardians are a playoff team. The Orioles are hoping to be a playoff team. The Twins are hoping to be a playoff team once again. Then you got the Mets. I mean, it's a tough start. It's a tough start. Uh, it's yeah. a tough start. And, you know, the starters are not going to be ramped up totally to begin the season we're not going to see them pitching too many times over 100 pitches a game hopefully into the sixth seventh eighth inning um so you're going to need some arms early on and and i think they're going to be trusting a a mason thompson type yeah and you're going to need a lot of innings out of your b bullpen we've talked about the four guys that are locked into this bullpen right now those are your a guys that's Mm -hmm. going to be the high leverage situations if you need kyle finnegan or carl edwards jr or hunter harvey that's where you're going to turn to your a bullpen but can't discredit what the kind of B bullpen needs to give you this year, yeah. which is a lot of innings out of Espino and Ward and Machado and some combination of Harris and Thompson. Yeah. Real quick before we get out of here, um, I wanted to ask you because we mentioned briefly, but in Trevor Williams, I mean, I, I, you've produced you've produced our podcast when Amy's here, so you heard Amy's stance. Yeah. She doesn't think Trevor Williams makes it in the rotation this year. How do you see him being utilized throughout the course of this season? I mean, he's, he's got to be a starter, be a starter right, at this point, right, right? right? I mean, especially after the Cade Cavalli injury, I think Trevor Williams kind of has to be in the rotation this year. Yeah, I think Amy's kind of point was like she kind of sees him falling off and maybe being moved to the bullpen. But right now, there's just no other option for him. Other, You just hope that he starts out strong like he did this spring. Right. And he's another one of those guys who's like, I'm just used to being a starter. And it would make sense if the Nationals were, you know, making a playoff push or, or had some starters at triple a rochester that were really banging down the door and maybe you're looking at trevor williams at that point and saying it would make sense if somebody else gets here to push trevor williams back down into the bullpen a role that he was great in last year Mm -hmm. with the new york mets 
But as of right now, there's not really anybody banging on the door. And Kate, uh, unless uh, Jackson Rutledge comes back and Jake starts Irvin. shooting, uh, starts pitching really well, Jake Irvin could surprise some people. Maybe yeah. Cole Henry comes out of nowhere and, and starts getting back on the mound and, and needs a starting rotation spot. Yeah. But as of right now, Trevor Williams could struggle as a starter. I, I think I, he'll be pretty good, but. Who else would take his spot at this point? It's not like Trevor Williams struggles and you go, okay, Corey Abbott time. Like yeah. you don't need, need to do that for Corey Abbott. Well, right. Also a two-year major league deal. You can't just bump him, you know, for what his contract says. Kind of like a Patrick Corbin, right? Like, you know, I'm not the same level, but like you can't just bump him just because you're paying him money over a couple of, a couple of years to be a starter. Yeah. So. Maybe ideally you'd like Trevor Williams out of the bullpen, but that's not really the scenario no, the Nationals not. find themselves in. Nope. Nope. And we'll have more clarity on this scenario, obviously, over the next couple of days. Next week, Amy will be back from, again, her trip to Paris. Um, <laughs> and uh, Amy and I will be doing a full breakdown. We'll have some more clarity on this roster, this bullpen, how it's going to be constructed, and we'll do some predictions ahead of opening day as well. want to give a big thanks to Brendan for pinch hitting for Amy this week and Paul Mancano for producing the show behind the scenes. We'll be back next week, one day before opening day. For all the previews, be sure to subscribe to the Mass on All Access podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. At Brendan Morty on Twitter for Brendan, I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week.